inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And that's the best we could pray for. The ultimate we could pray for all of us is that as time goes by and as we suffer in various ways that we might actually grow stronger instead of growing weaker. And we pray that the enemy would find himself defeated and frustrated at every hand. And we do pray, Father, that you would do miracles, great miracles, powerful miracles in the lives of people that are inexplicable by medical science or anything else so that you might receive all of the glory, all of the praise, and all of the honor and that all of us might be just amazed at what our God has done and how great and wonderful your power actually is. We don't fully understand that and we have seen miracles and we've seen answered prayers but none of that matches who you really are and what you are really capable of doing and I know one day we'll fully understand that and we pray that day by day, step by step you would help us understand that more and more as we walk through this life. We pray that you would give comfort to our people. We pray that you would give direction. And we pray that you would give strength. We get so, so very tired. And we need your strength to fill us. We pray, Lord, for people we're concerned about, not only who are physically sick, but those who are sick in their souls because they are lost and they're sinful and they're away from you. And only you can rescue them. And we pray that you would, good shepherd of the sheep. And we pray, Lord, for those who are saved and have been gathered into your fold. But they have a tendency to stray. And uh, maybe uh, there's something in their life that is keeping them from relating to you as they should. Oh, Father, our prayer would be that every person in our church would have a strong and powerful and wonderful and holy a productive and fruitful walk with you and all of our ministries would bear uh, the fruit of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and for our nation Lord we're in such bad shape and we want to pray Lord you would have mercy upon our nation and use us to be a force for righteousness here in our land and in our culture now take our time in the word today and encourage us feed us strengthen us May our spotlight today be upon Jesus Christ. And I pray that those who are saved would love him more, serve him better. And I pray that those who are not would be confronted with their need for a Savior, their sin and his glorious grace and sacrifice and victory over death, hell and the grave through his resurrection. And we pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, take your Bibles this morning and let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians. And we're moving on into the fifth chapter. And <clears throat> being honest, there's a lot that we don't know and don't fully understand about the uh, coming of the Lord that we've been talking about. Some of it is indeed a uh, mystery. For all of us, some of it is very clear. Some of it is extremely clear. It's like Mark Twain said, it's not the parts in the Bible I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And that certainly is true because so much of it is so very, very clear. The Lord is coming again. And uh, Paul didn't get into a whole lot of that in this first 
book, this first letter that he writes to the Thessalonian believers. And so we're going to follow his outline and we're going to go as far as he goes and talk about what he talks about. And so let's go to 1 Thessalonians and let's go to the 5th chapter here and let's begin to uh, read it together. We'll start in verse 1 and we'll go all the way down to verse 11 for this particular session. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, that's a judgment term, uh, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, not be drowsy, in other words, as others do. But let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake, we, uh, wake pardon me, or sleep, we should live together with him. And may the Lord bless us as we study and look at his word together. Now, when we uh, are thinking about this, the conclusion is in verse 11, therefore comfort each other and edify each other just as you also are doing. Now, in some ways, these might seem like strange verses to edify and comfort other people. The world is coming to an end. Hope that cheers you up a little bit. It uh, doesn't seem to work very well unless we begin to understand a little bit more about it from a Christian perspective. <clears throat> These truths that we're going to talk about are undeniable truths. But in this chapter, I want you to notice there is a contrast, a really, I think, a stark contrast in Paul's writings here. He says, For you yourselves know and things like that. You, brethren, and that kind of thing. And then he talks about some other people, and they shall not escape. Now notice that means there's lost people in here, and there are saved people addressed in this particular chapter. And I suppose that would change your entire perspective about the end of the world. For those who know the Lord Jesus Christ and understand that the world ends not by climate change, not with nuclear war, not with man just destroying the planet or anything like that or some uh, awful disease coming through. The world ends when the Lord Jesus returns. And he's returning as a conquering king. And so for us, we look forward to that and we say, like the Apostle John, even so, come Lord Jesus. And I want you to think about how different today would be, how all of your problems are solved when Jesus comes. And Jesus could come at any time with the shout 
of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ rise first and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus shall we ever be with the Lord, the Bible says. Comforting words for believers, for those who know this, for those who believe this, for us because we have trusted in Christ his death, burial, and resurrection to be the full payment for our sin. But I want you to also think about the other people and they shall not escape. When the judgment of God comes, what is such a blessing for the child of God, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> is not a, <coughs> pardon me, not a blessing for those who were lost. And when you think about that, it uh, makes your, 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 your gut kind of tighten up. It makes your, your heart hurt to think about those people. That's why we ought to witness to them, and that's why we pray to the Lord for the salvation of their souls, and it ought to be something that we are passionate about. Missions and evangelism ought to be on the heart of every believer because the end is coming and it is drawing near and this passage speaks about that so what are the undeniable truths well number one is we know that judgment is coming this is not just going on and on and on endlessly there is a judgment that is coming now paul says to the thessalonian believers concerning the times and the seasons brethren you have no need that I should write to you. Now remember, he's writing to them. He's writing in a way where he's saying, you've been instructed by this. Apparently, when he had been there before, he talked to them about the times and the seasons in which they were living and what was going to happen. So there's no need, he says, to go back over all of that again. And the times and the seasons, a familiar theme in Scripture, for example, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Therefore, when they had come together, this is after Christ's resurrection, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Get rid of the Romans and all of that kind of stuff. And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. In other words, they said, Lord, is this the time you're going to rule and reign as king and set up your kingdom here in Israel? And he's basically saying to them, that part of it is none of your business. Here's what you do. Get busy witnessing for Christ. And the same thing is true today. Our marching orders have not changed. We are to be witnesses for Christ. And frankly, so, many of the, so much of the stuff we get involved in, even sometimes well-meaning, distracts us from the main thing that Jesus has told us to do. And so this is all about the fact that we are to tell others about Christ, be witnesses for Christ, and be faithful in doing that until the day that he returns. But what does he mean by times and seasons? Well, the times are something that you can measure by your calendar. Everybody knows New Year's Day is coming up a week after Christmas, and so it's coming up very shortly, and it'll be 2023. And uh, there are a lot of people that look forward to New Year's. I'll be glad when this year is over. 
And uh, so uh, why? Because this year has been bad. I would be glad to be able to flip the calendar and start over with a clean slate. We all understand the idea of time. What does time have to do with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, if you've lived more than one or two decades, you know one thing, you were one or two decades closer to the return of the Lord than you were when you were born. And we know that people have been saying for thousands of years, Jesus is coming, and uh, well, he hasn't come yet. Well, that just means we're a thousand or two thousand years closer to his actual coming. We can see time passing, and boy, does it ever seem to be passing fast anymore and so we watch the calendar and know Jesus is coming and we are a day or a month or a year closer than we were at this time before the seasons however cannot always be marked by a calendar for example uh, we had back in September the calendar said on it on the 20th I think of September the first day of fall. Well, it sure didn't feel like fall. It was still hot. It was still dry. It didn't act like fall because fall is more of a season. Fall doesn't look at the calendar and go, oh, oh, it's fall. I better jump in here. Fall is a season. Winter is a season. Spring is a season. Summer is a season. <clears throat> and sometimes the weather person will tell you, that it's unseasonably warm or unseasonably cool. But generally speaking, we know what season we're in. It may be 80 degrees in January, but it's still winter. It may be uh, 70 degrees in August, but it's still summer. But, and there are characteristics of the seasons that you uh, can expect. There are certain times to plant, certain times to water, certain times to harvest, certain times we think about certain things and do certain things and prepare for other things, all to do with the seasons. Well, we can see the season in which we live. Sometimes it may be a season of greed. Sometimes it may be a season of selfishness. Sometimes it may be a season of... I don't know, immorality or lying or something like that. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. And then it tells us, it describes the season. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Does that sound like any place you've ever been? Sound like anyone you've ever known? Sound like any situation in which you've ever found yourself? Does that sound anything like the news that you watch on TV or read about on social media? I mean, it does to me. And so the calendar, we can't nail down the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 15th of December, but we can also know that every turn of the page of the calendar brings us closer to his return, and we also know that as the seasons come, we can kind of read what is happening in the seasons and know that we are fast moving that direction. Everything is 
coming to a close and coming to an end. So judgment is on its way. Things are going to be set in order and set right, and uh, it is coming. That's an undeniable truth. Number two, here's the second one. The world doesn't see it coming. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes on them. The world still thinks it can work its way out of this mess. The world thinks just one more election or electing the right person or the right Congress or the right mayor or the right governor, that's going to be the answer. They think maybe the answer is if we could just get everybody to drive electric vehicles, for example, then, uh, oh, we could stop the delay or we could slow everything down, delay the destruction of the planet. If we could just maybe have disarmament and everybody just agree to uh, set aside their bombs and their nuclear weapons and not to use them, those type of things. You see, the world is trying to recreate Eden, the Garden of Eden, paradise, in other words. We call that a utopia. The world is trying to create a utopia, and every time they do, they say, if we could just accept one another, let everybody love whomever they choose to love, and be whatever they want to be. And all it does is add to more chaos, more confusion, it adds more sadness, it adds more problems and complications into the world that never fixes anything. God's way is the only way that fixes anything, and so we try to get a utopia and what we end up with is just simply having a what we call a dystopian situation and the reason that happens Peter tells us uh, when he writes he says that in 2nd Peter chapter 3 3 and 4 knowing this first that scoffers come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they are from the beginning of creation. And so uh, they keep thinking that man is the solution, government is the solution, money is the solution, possessions is the solution, personal happiness is the solution, throwing off the chains of traditional morality, there's the solution. We've got to be free to be who we are and as we do that all we come up with is a dystopia now what are we talking about when we talk about those kind of terms well when we talk about uh, utopia the utopian idea it means that it is modeled on aiming for a state in which everything is perfect now, how is fallen man in a fallen world ever going to create anything that is perfect? And by the way, would we even agree on what would make this a perfect world? We can't even agree on what would make a perfect Thanksgiving dinner, can we? An imperfect world has trouble with all of that. And so when you ask people what would make everything perfect, some people would say, well, the world would be perfect if I could change my gender. And so they pursue that. Some people say, my world would be perfect if I could be free 
to love and to marry someone that is of my same sex, my same gender. Of course, that's getting harder and harder to figure out now that there are over 90 of them listed. What gender are you? How do you find someone? What is same sex anymore? What is a man and what is a woman? We're not entirely sure about those kind of things. And so that's supposed to make things better and more perfect when we can't even figure out the basic things of life. Think about it. Other people say it would be perfect if we had Republicans in the White House. Others say, no, it has to be Democrats. Others say, no, libertarians. And on and on and on we could go with all of that. We can't even really agree on it. And so everything gets complicated. And what makes something perfect to somebody else is, well, for you, they're sticking a stick in the spokes of your bicycle while you're riding it. And that never comes out well, does it? In other words, it comes out to be what we would define as a dystopian situation, which instead of a utopian, everything being perfect, well, dystopian, well, you can guess. It means relating to or denoting an imagined state or society where there is great suffering or injustice. And that's exactly what happens. The more we try to make things fair for one person, the more we make it unfair for a bunch of other people. And every time we chase all of this, we're going to make everything right, and it always turns on us, and it always begins to cause problems that we didn't anticipate. Adam and Eve thought, if I could eat that fruit and get the knowledge that God has so that I could be like God, then we could fix everything. And it would be, oh, what a wonderful world that would be. And you and I look at this world and we go, yeah, well, you missed that one, Adam. That didn't work out like you intended. And listen, it never does. It never does. All of these things promise you, vote for me and it'll all be fixed. Well, they may be better or it could be worse. But fixed? No. No. And if it is, it's temporary. You ever had that project you were working on, maybe under a sink or something like that? And uh, you get done, and your wife says, does it work? Well, it is for now, only to find out that an hour later, it's wet underneath the sink. Yeah, that's the way politics is. That's the way environmentalism is. That's the way, I mean, everything that's going on in the world, band-aids on cancers, we might say, a quick fix, a temporary fix, but it really doesn't fix. Fix is the wrong word in all of that. It doesn't really happen. And so the world thinks that it can. The world denies that there's an actual end coming. The world denies that there's an actual return of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The world denies all of that. They think everything just can continues on and so that's why they embrace evolution there's really not a definite beginning just time goes and change takes place and what's going to happen all the way on it's going to keep on doing that type of stuff and they don't understand they don't know or they completely deny that Jesus is going to return and he's going to judge the world the living 
and the dead. And so number three, here's the third undeniable truth, that we are informed and equipped. And this is where Paul changes the thing in verse 4. But you, brethren, you, Christian, you're not in darkness. So what's your excuse? You're not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Okay? You're watching. You're aware. You're sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch. Gregoreo is the word there. And be sober. The idea of being sober is not to be drunk not to be intoxicated, not to have our minds filled with everything else. I was uh, thinking as I was uh, listening to some people comment on some ball games and they started giving statistics about people. And then I was listening to a guy talk about baseball and Joe DiMaggio and um, uh, Ted Williams. Some of you remember him. Uh, back in the day, and just how their stats would line up today if they were kept the same way. And just amazing the way this person could, off the top of his head, give statistic after statistic after statistic. And then here's what I thought. Oh, Lord, please make it so that I could do that with the Word of God. You ever find yourself wondering, where is that verse in the Bible? I know it's in there. Wouldn't it be wonderful just to recall it and know the verse and the address? I'm pretty good at the verses. I'm not very good at the addresses sometimes. Wouldn't it be great to know the the Word of God like some people know sports statistics and other things like that? And yet, what's our excuse on all of that? Sometimes we get caught up thinking about other things and making them much, much, much more important than they really are. And Paul is saying to us, as well as the Thessalonians, wake up! Wake up! It's time to get up. Wake up and be sober. Quit quit getting drunk on all of the other things that are going on in the world and getting passionate about everything else in the world and get to know your Lord, get to know His Word and pay attention to the times and the seasons as they are revealed in the Bible and make sure that you're not caught off guard when the Lord returns. I would hate to be on guard duty napping when the general staff car drives by. I would hate to be caught napping on a job when the foreman walks in. That type of stuff is embarrassing and it's never a good thing. Well, what do you think it's going to be like for believers who go, when the Lord comes and they go, what, 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 but I wasn't ready. When you play hide and seek, the cry is, ready or not, here I come. I wonder sometimes if that won't be the shout of the archangel. Ready or not, he's coming. And the thing is, Paul is saying here, we are not ignorant. We're not in darkness. We are not intoxicated. We have clear information. And we know this one undeniable truth that we are different than the world. And we ought to be the ones that are ready and that are watching and that are thinking about time and life and the return of the Lord 
in a biblical way. It just doesn't go on forever, and every day is a precious and wonderful opportunity that may not be available again. And so he tells us that we are to be sober, and notice this, putting on the breastplate, that piece of armor, the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul always gets in those three things, faith, hope, and love. That's the way that we live. That's the way Christians operate. We have faith, and we have hope, and we have love. And as we are walking through life, and as we go through the battles and survive the attacks, we know that because we are alive in Christ, we can think clearly, we can have faith and loyalty and love and obedience for the Lord. We have hope and we have that confident assurance that comes in knowing that the Word of God is true and knowing that God is true to His promises, that Jesus is doing everything that is supposed to be done. This world is going the way that it is supposed to go and it is all going to come to one final cataclysmic end at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that this other undeniable truth is number four. Ready for this? Regardless of whatever else is happening in the world, we are safe. And I want you just to think about all of this. And I want you to exhale loudly. Just go, ah, we're safe. What about the mark of the beast? I don't know. But I know one thing. We're safe. What about the one world government? I don't know. But I know one thing. We're safe. What about all the people that are going to be killed and all of that? I don't know. But I know one thing. We are safe. What about the way the world is going, the way the government is going, the way the people are going, the way the culture is going? What about all the things that are going on in Russia? What about all the things in China? What about world trade? What about nuclear war? What about pandemics? What about... No, we're safe. Why? Because whether we live or whether we die, there's one thing that is true forever and ever and ever. We are the Lord's. He's got it. And he's got you. You know, we say to somebody that we want to support, hey, I got your back. Well, the Lord Jesus has more than your back. He's got you. He lives in you. He holds you in his hand. You remember Jesus said that when you get saved, you're put in the Father's hand, right? And the Father's hand is also containing the hand of Jesus. And so for the enemy to get to you, he's got to peel back the Father's hand. You think he's going to be able to do that? And then he's got to peel back the Lord Jesus' hand, the conquering hand with a nail print in it. And then he's got to go through to you through the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I mean, you are safe. You are protected. Whatever is going on in this life. And that's why the Bible says we can rest in him. Now, According to the verses just before this, you can either be drunk and intoxicated, buzzed and not thinking and 
sleeping through this time if you're intoxicated on the things of this world, or you can rest in the Lord. Which one do you think would be better? Which one do you think is going to be more beneficial? And I'm going to say that it's resting in the Lord because you are safe and you are safe in Him and it's in the Lord that we find this written about us. Whatever it is that's happening in the world, things we understand, things we don't understand, things that we know, things that we don't know, things that we're right about, things that we're sometimes wrong about. Here's your verse, verse 9. Let it out. Rest, for God did not appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him and all God's people said right all the pressure all the stress all the fear, all the anxieties, rest. When I was a little kid, we were in northwest Arkansas. We were at Grandma and Grandpa's house. I don't know when it was. It was probably a Thanksgiving, maybe a Christmas. And we always went there. It was on New Hope Road in Rogers, Arkansas. And I remember one night, I was having trouble sleeping, and uh, I wasn't very old, and Grandma heard me, and she got up, and she came to check on me, and she said, what's the matter, you can't sleep? And I said, no. She goes, are you cold? I said, yes. And she took me into their living room, and had a fireplace in it, and she... Uh, stirred up the fire, got it going, wrapped me in a blanket, and held me in her lap. And she held me until I fell asleep. And you know what I did at that point? I rested in her care. And when I read these verses, it's almost like there's a crackling fireplace in front of me. It's almost like I'm being wrapped in a soft, warm blanket and I feel the everlasting arms of the Lord wrap around me as he holds me close and says, It's going to be all right, my child. Fear not. I have overcome the world. And as you walk through the storms of life, you need that. As you walk through the trials of life, you're going to need that. And the Word of God comes like a comforter on a cold night. The Word of God comes like a fire on a cold night. It brings light. It brings warmth. It brings the soothing sound of the crackle of the wood and the smell of the smoke. So familiar, so wonderful, so comforting. And we actually rest in Him. And I want to ask you today, with all that's going on in the world, are you resting in the Lord are you fully trusting in his grace this hour because we know that judgment is indeed coming 
that's not supposed to frighten you. That's supposed to make you look up and look to the Lord. We also know, too, that the world is always going to deny it. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to scoff about you. They're going to look at you and say, what do you mean? And uh, they'll go around in their um, smug, proud ways, thinking that they are saving the planet and preserving life, not knowing there's an unchangeable date coming when the Lord is going to return. We know they are always going to deny it. We've got to stand strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We've got to understand that God has not just left us here and He, throw, threw, he has not just thrown us into the creek and said, sink or swim, boys. He has given us Himself. <coughs> given us His life. And we have faith. And we have hope. And we have love as we walk through and as we navigate these murky waters. And we have His Word to be our light as we go through dark forests and valleys. A lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we also know this. Whatever may come toward us and around us or about us, we have this hope. We were not appointed to wrath but to salvation. We are safe and when you think about the safety that we have in the lord and you think about the future and the hope that we have it's always in the lord and the second coming of christ was never designed to scare you never designed to trouble you never designed to make you anxious never designed to fill your life with so many weird things that your brain won't shut off. In fact, we've had twice now where the Lord addresses, uh, pardon me, Paul addresses this issue as the word of the Lord, where we're told this is supposed to comfort you. This is supposed to comfort one another. So when you lay a loved one in the grave and they know the Lord Jesus Christ, Take comfort, the Lord is coming it back as we saw last week. And even that body is going to be redeemed because God saves all of us. And when you look around at a world <clears throat> where you see so many people that are lying, stealing, cheating, they're immoral, they're ugly and awful, they're traitorous, there's injustice, there's violence, all of these things that are going on. How do I take comfort in that? Because I look to the eastern sky and know that one of these days my Lord is going to split that sky and He's coming back to earth and He's going to take over and He's going to set everything in order and there will be perfect justice in the Lord. You say, well, doesn't that scare you? No, because I'm safe and my safety is in the Lord. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That would be us, amen? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood... 
much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. The wrath of God is real, folks. The judgment of God is real, folks. And there is a day coming, and you can't change it. I can't change it. Environmentalists can't change it. Government can't change it. It is set by God, and He is coming again. But for those of us who know the Lord, we are safe because we have the righteousness of Christ on our record book. We have His presence with us, and we have His promise as a guarantee that we were not appointed for His wrath, but for eternal life. So, comfort one another with these words. If you've never trusted Him, the only way you can get under that blanket and pull it up around you is to repent of your sin. You're a sinner. And because you're a sinner, you deserve to die, and you deserve an eternity in hell after that death. But God is a loving God who is rich in mercy. And He is the one who said, I will go to earth and I will live the life for them that they could never live. And I will die the death for them that they could never endure. And I will suffer the wrath of God in their place as their substitute. And I'll conquer it. And He fully drank the cup of God's wrath. And it did pass from him as he prayed in the garden because three days later he was raised from the dead. And if you will trust Christ by repenting of your sins and believing that Christ paid for your sins in full and surrender to him as Lord, you can pull the comforter up around your shoulders. You can hear the crackle of the fire because the Word of God will warm your heart and your soul and it will bless you because the Bible is God speaking to you and infusing your soul with life and hope and peace and comfort as you walk through the trials of life. And one day, when the Lord does return, you will be indeed on the right side of history. But oh, woe to those who never trust the Lord when that day comes. Think about it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that you have instructed us. The way that you indwell us. We thank you for the promises that you've given us. We thank you for the salvation that you have accomplished for us through your death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you for the promise. Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself. Lord, we know that judgment day is coming. And we know that the world is never going to see it. But we do know we're informed and we are equipped. We have the armor of God. We have faith, hope, and love. And we know above all, we are safe. Now, don't let us become smug in that, and don't let us become apathetic. Let us be your people, your soldiers, your ambassadors, telling other people about that, and may through that you be glorified, and may there be peace and comfort on the people of God even today for the glory of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Jesus is coming again.